This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. Welcome, 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 welcome back to Fans on the Run, the most profound Beatles podcast. Profound for what reasons, I don't know. But, here we are. It's it's another week, I assume it's, uh, there's gonna be some snow out. Uh, there is no snow right now. There was snow. I was really sad when the snow went away. See, uh, mystery guest, this is what happens when I start the show. Uh, I go into a delusional, uh, rambling, senile monologue until I decide it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> um, I've based a whole career on that. Well, we're two peas from the same pod. <laughs> which... Pun intended, yes. <laughs> but anyways, I I don't know why I do the whole mystery guest shtick. It's not like you can see his name in the title and the graphic and the all that stuff. It's it's you know, I, I need to reevaluate this show. But that's for another day. We have a great guest for you today. If you're in New York, you can hear him ten PM to midnight, uh, weekdays, and one to four PM on Saturdays. On WFUV. WF- That's right. WFUV. And he is the co-host of the fellow podcast, Things We Said Today. Darren DeVivo, welcome to Fans on the Run. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I appreciate it. And I got pretty excited when you started talking about snow. Uh, I'm a little south of you, just outside of New York City. And we've only seen a few wet snowflakes so far. But today, the day we're recording this, uh, our temperatures went into the 70s again, and it's supposed to feel like uh, spring, I think, for most of the week coming up. Uh, That's the same up here right now. It's not fun. There was a morning where it was, you know, it was beautiful. It looked like a winter wonderland. And then by the afternoon, it had all melted. It's like, oh, okay, wow, that was a really anticlimactic 24 hours. Right, right. Yeah, so, that wet it, snow that disappears as soon as the sun comes out. Are, are you pro-snow or against snow? Very pro-snow. Thank you. I'm pro-snow. I love the snow. Not nuts when I have to uh, do a lot of shoveling. And unfortunately, I've got uh, two pretty bad knees from taking two separate serious falls uh, at home down the stairs. So walking... On uh, in snow and icy conditions is always a little dicey for me, but I still prefer winter and uh, very much prefer uh, uh, snowfall. Yes. Keep it under a foot or so, but give me a bunch of significant snowfalls that don't go beyond a foot, and I'm yeah. happy. Because because if you end up with about you know six feet of snow, like sometimes happens, uh, it's it's just not pleasant. Yeah, I, I've never experienced anything like that. I think the worst uh, was in the vicinity of two feet uh, in New York City and um, very possibly the last one of, of like that was at the time I was doing uh, morning drive at WFUV, 6 to 10 a.m. Monday through Friday. Uh, so this would have been, this was probably late, I think it was like the late 90s. 
and uh, it was a little it was a little eerie walking through. You know, I'm originally from the Bronx in New York City, so walking through the streets in the middle of the street because you couldn't walk anywhere else on the sidewalks. It was so much snow. And uh, hoping, I didn't even, even know if buses were running. I normally drive everywhere I go, but that morning, walking a couple of blocks to where a bus might stop uh, was, uh, was actually a, a good memory, but at the time was a little hairy. So I think about two feet of snow was the most I've ever experienced. I, I want to make an on-air retraction. Uh, I said six feet of snow, and then I realized how much snow that actually is. And then I remembered, okay, so no, that's never happened here. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. It's, uh, you, you Americans and your metric system. Oh, no, your imperial system. <laughs> no, your metric. Yeah. Where, whatever it's called. I don't yeah. know what it's called. Isn't it like the imperial system? Whatever. If you say so. Uh, yeah. I, when I was in elementary school in the 70s, there was leanings towards going metric in the U.S., and we were learning the metric system, and it just seemed to just go away at some point. And that was the end of that. So it's degrees, inches, feet, miles on my end. Well, it's kind of frustrating sometimes uh, driving. Well, I don't drive. Uh, But when I'm in the car, because in... Canada, it's kilometers, right, and so right. you can see on like the signs as you're driving past the road, like, okay, Toronto, uh, thirty kilometers away. So you can say in your head, okay, so thirty minutes away. Like it, oh, it it's about okay. a kilometer a minute most of the time, mm-hmm. but in the states, it's you know miles, and it's I have no idea what's going on. So if it says like, oh, New York City, fifty miles, it's like. Well, that could take anywhere between 30 minutes and <laughs> yeah. four hours. Right, exactly. I don't know how far that is. <laughs> it's the same here. I've been I've been in Ontario uh, uh, a number of times and uh, almost all the time driving, and it's like, how far do we have to go? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, whatever that says, that's how far we have to go yeah. as we pass the sign. So, um, but, uh, you know. It's uh, you figure it out, and uh, at least you're driving on the correct side of the road, like yes. we do in the U.S., as opposed to say in the U.K., yes. where they drive the wrong way. I'm we, just joking. All it. our friends in the U.K. I'm yeah. just kidding. I'm I'm not joking. We drive on the right side of the road. <laughs> yeah. You you can say face. I I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Th- this shows a dumpster fire, and I go down with it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways I want to jump right back to the beginning how did you first discover the Beatles uh, you know it's funny I don't know I don't know what it was that uh, turned me on to the Beatles there is two two of the things I'm extremely passionate about um, and that's music with the Beatles front and center and baseball with the New York Mets front and center why am I a hardcore Beatles fan? Why did I end up a hardcore Mets fan? I don't know. My parents, I'm an only child, no brothers and sisters. Uh, my parents weren't, they weren't big music heads. They really weren't into the Beatles. Well, wouldn't uh, it have been kind of worlds colliding? I don't know too much about the Mets, but uh, wouldn't they have been the ones who played at Shea Stadium? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Mets played at Shea Stadium until uh, the 2008 yeah. season was the last. And now they're they at built uh, City, City Field, Field next door, right? And McCartney played there in '09, the first year that uh, the that City Field was open. Um, so yeah, no, exactly. But as for why I gravitated to the Beatles and 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 the Mets, two big passions. I don't know. Like I said, my parents weren't music heads. They weren't into the Beatles. They were Yankees fans because I'm from the Bronx, and the Bronx is where the Yankees play. The Mets played in Queens. Well, can but, you explain um, to me, as someone who knows very, 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 very little about baseball, mm-hmm. um, other than the Blue Jays are kind of all right. Yeah, um, very good team. Up and coming. <laughs> um. What is this rivalry between the Yankees and the Mets? I don't understand it. Um, you know, it's funny because there is and there isn't a rivalry. Uh, when I say there is, there or say when I say there isn't, they don't play each other all that much, and they're in opposite leagues. So the Yankees are in the American League in the East, in the same division as the Blue Jays. The Mets are in the National League in the East. Up until the late 90s when they started interleague play where National League teams and American League teams would play each other during the regular season and not just meet in the World Series. Up until that point, the Mets and Yankees never played each other unless it was, you know, an exhibition game or a spring training game or something. So the rivalry for the Mets and the Yankees is more geographic. New York, New York, Chicago. Los Angeles, the Bay Area, handful of areas that have more than one team. And in New York City, traditionally, there were three baseball teams. Well, it was the Yankees. It was the Brooklyn Dodgers. Right, and the New York Giants. And the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers both left New York City after the 1957 season and went to California, got the L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Now, the Mets were created... Uh, to replace both the Dodgers and the Giants in the National League. And that's why, if you're familiar with the Mets, the team colors are blue and orange. The blue is Dodger blue. The orange is Giants orange. And New York went from 1958 until 1961 with one baseball team, the Yankees, how, in the how American would they ever League. How <laughs> And they, New York craved National League baseball again, so the Mets were created to basically fill the void left by the Dodgers and Giants in 1962. So the rivalry was really just geographic. Um, and what ends up happening is, traditionally, the Yankees tend to be the powerhouse team. It hasn't always been the case, but they do tend to be the powerhouse. The Mets are the little brother that gets kicked around a lot. So that helps fuel the rivalry because the fans usually get on each other's case. Mm-hmm. There are very few Met fans who like the Yankees and vice versa. And even though I'm from the Bronx, which is Yankee country, I grew up a Mets fan and no offense folks, I can't stand the Yankees. And it's usually the other way around. Yankee fans can't stand the Mets. So uh, that's the deal with that. And I grew up in a, in a household of two parents who were passive Yankee fans. Uh, and then I popped up and was attra- attracted to the Mets and the Beatles. And you asked me how I got into the Beatles. Well, 
I'm not sure, but I can't tell you. It was probably before I turned five, because I turned five in March 1970. Mm-hmm. So, and I have recollections of hearing certain songs on the radio when they were hits, like something, and uh, you know something from 1969, yes. for example. I had the Hey Jude compilation album, which came out February 70. Mm-hmm. So I was well aware of the Beatles by the time I turned five years old, and even from that very young age, they were a passion for me. Um, because there was just something about them that even at barely turning five, I definitely was was drawn to them. I saw the Let It Be movie in the theaters in the, I guess it was the summer of 70. I barely remember it, but I do have a like a snapshot memory of being in the theater with my mother mm-hmm. uh, um, in at the Palace Theater in the Parkchester section of the Bronx watching let it be and i would have been five years old so they had uh, they had taken they grabbed hold of me at a, from a very very young age well, would would you say the let it be movies appropriate for a five-year-old um yeah why not i would think it would be boring as heck for a five-year-old but sure i mean of course the kids want to see yellow submarine most of them anyway my daughter loved yellow submarine when she was a little baby my son used to get a little freaked out by it but but yeah, I mean, let it be. Would I mean for a five-year-old, let it be is going to be boring. But there's sure there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's been a while since I, I've seen Let It Be, so I can't remember if like you yeah. know the Beatles are like swearing at each other. I, like, hey, I don't think so. No, there's none of that. Oh, why don't you fuck yourself? Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, no. There's none of that, and uh, I haven't seen Let It Be from beginning to end. <sighs> I, I couldn't, couldn't even tell you when the last time I saw it. If you're familiar with um, the Fest for Beatles fans, yes. which used to be Beatle Fest, I've been going to uh, those conventions since 1982, and they tended to show the, the the primary movies, A Hard Day's Night, Help, I think Yellow Submarine, and they would show Let It Be. I think they did, would do like maybe one movie in the afternoon and one at night. They don't do it anymore. They don't screen them any longer. But that was probably the last time I saw Let It Be was at one of the Beetlefest conventions. Well, that, uh, that sounds so fun. They, they, they weren't doing that at the fest when I went. No, I don't know if it has any. It, you know what it does? It probably does have something to do with permission of to use the film, yeah. uh, licensing and whatnot, uh, that they, they can no longer do that. Uh, but there was a time, and I don't know when it stopped. It stopped, I would make a guesstimate, somewhere in maybe the mid-90s that uh, uh, Mark Lapidos, who runs the Fest yeah. for Beatle fans, Shout out stopped to Mark. showing the films. Shout out to Mark. How are you, Mark? If uh, any of you listeners are interested, I did an episode with Mark Lapidos. So. Mark is a, a fascinating guy. He's a great guy. Um, and, uh, you know, Beatle Fest attendees, well, actually, the Fest for Beatle fans, the official name. We, we, can uh, we all Fest. know the Lapidos family on a first-name basis. Yeah. So, I, you kind of touched on this, but I want to ask you again. Uh, mm-hmm. What was the first Beatle album or Beatle record you remember owning? I, it, well, album, like I mentioned, it was... 
it was Hey Jude. There was like a, a like a, a very thin line in my house. Mm-hmm. I had a phonograph, a little. Uh, I think it was a, a GE General Electric show and tell phonograph mm-hmm. where I would play my audio storybooks as a kid, and I had a very modest collection of forty fives. Is that and the, I would play like the audio storybooks? Were those like the ones that would play at like sixteen RPM? I I know what you're talking about. I don't think these did, but I know what you're talking about. Show and tells would be they would come in like a little uh, uh, like a pamphlet it had the story in there and it would have a strip of film that you would put into the pl- player like a television it was like a little mini tv with a turntable on top and you would put the film in it was like a strip and i guess the stories were narrated and built on you know like every 25 seconds that would be the end of a page and there would be a tone, and the film would move, advance to the next frame. So you could watch the TV, the still, uh, you know, uh, drawing, the animation, listen to the story, and it was a record player, too. Mm-hmm. So I had Let It Be, uh, not Let It Be, I had the Hey Jude album from me. My dad had the high-tech, hi-fi stereo, yes. and he brought home... Let It Be on Abbey Road at the same time, and that would have had to have been 1970, because Let It Be was involved. And so he had those two albums, which sometimes, I, I, I still don't know why he brought them home, because they weren't Beatle fans, my parents, unless it was for me. And a lot of times, Dad would stack his uh, turntable with, um, you know, uh, some of his records, and... If one Beatle album was on there, they both were. Abbey Road and Let It Be, they were kind of interchangeable for me. And then I had Hey Jude on my little phonograph and some singles, too. I had, I remember getting Get Back, the Get Back 45. I think my cousin gave me his copy of uh, something. Um, And in 1970, the current hits, The Long and Winding Road and uh, Let It Be. And a funny story the B side of Let It Be, You Know My Name, Look Up The Number, mm-hmm. used to scare the crap out of me as a five-year-old. Really? I didn't get it. I didn't understand what the Beatles were doing. I didn't understand who these weird people were yelling at me. Uh, the strange music, it always creeped me out. I very rarely played the B side of the Let It Be single when I was five years old. Today, because it's obscure, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Well, I can only imagine it'd be kind of terrifying for a five-year-old. You know, imagine if you'd played your five-year-old self like some of the Beatle Christmas records. <laughs> yeah, I, at that point, yeah, I didn't, I had never heard the Beatle Christmas records at that point. Uh, what, you know, I, I often, we talk about uh, this on Things We Said Today, my, my podcast, Um we talk about how I was introduced to the Beatles first as solo artists and then really as a band. I knew those few, those last couple of albums and those last few singles because they were relatively current. But really for me, the, I don't know if indoctrination is the right word, but no, it, it was it was the My Sweet Lord single, It Don't Come Easy in 71, Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey in 71, and Power to the People, one from each of them. Mm-hmm. Those were the four that really shot the, the spotlight was bright, 
shining brightly for me. Uh, those four singles and the rest is history. Uh, when you were that young, were you able to kind of, you know, piece it together that these four singles were all from Beatles? Yeah, I, 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 I was aware they broke up. I don't think I quite comprehended what that meant. That, but I, I was aware of the fact that they didn't, they didn't play together anymore. That they weren't this band, the Beatles anymore. But yet here were the records, and here's you know pictures of them. So therefore, they exist, but they don't exist. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, uh, one of my cousins. I'm the youngest uh, in in my more extended family of all the cousins and everything, and. Uh, I it must I must have worn it like a badge even as young as five years old that I was a Beatles fan, and I remember one of my older cousins' friends saying to me, "Oh, the Beatles, they're dead," meaning they broke up. But yeah. to you know a five or six year old, I, I mean it was like I ran to my mother crying. The Beatles are dead. No, 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 honey. They just you know they broke up. They're not. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Um. Because that bitch said that they were dead. No. Uh, but uh, I, and I kind of remember hearing that w Paul McCartney had a band, Wings, but it didn't totally add up, but I wasn't clueless. Yeah. You know. Plus, if, if you looked at the records on your little phonograph, you, you might have noticed that they all had the same picture of the apple. Yeah. That was another weird thing for me was that, and it actually helped push me into my career working in radio indirectly, but even from, even from the first singles that I had, uh, I was always mesmerized by the 45s and the label designs, and to this day, I can see a label from across a room and tell you, that's Electra Records. That was the label design that they were using in the late 60s before they went blah, 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 blah. And that apple, there's something magical about that apple spinning on the turntable. And who knows, it could be that that really captured my fancy uh, and made this whole thing happen for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember all even the non-Beatles singles that I had. Uh, you know, I could tell you what labels, record companies they were on and the design of the label. It, it just it burned itself into my memory. Out of and curiosity, that love of records and music, uh, you know, still thrives today. Out of curiosity, what were some of those other singles and what labels were they? Because <laughs> I'm a uh, record nerd, too, so I'm, I'm getting okay. a kick out of this. So, all right, so you, you got to go back now basically to maybe a couple of uh, hits from 69. Okay. Most of them 70, 71, some 72. We're talking about, oh, I used to like the Carpenters, and they were on a and Records. Yeah, so that was and, like the Olive label with the... Exactly. Yeah. They're right, the original A&M label. Uh, uh, I, I liked Three Dog Night. They were on ABC Dunhill, yeah. a black label. I loved, I still... When I see the ABC and ABC Dunhill labels, I'm like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you why, but that's cool. Uh, and who what else? I have a lot of kind of like novelty bubblegum kind of uh, the band Bread. 
Baby, okay. I'm a Want You on Electra Records pop, yeah. just popped into my head. So that's just a handful of many. W- would that know. have been the, the Caterpillar? Yeah, the singles, I believe, were the Caterpillar. The LPs had the full-blown Butterfly. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, I don't know if that was standard. I don't know if the Butterflies ever turned up on the singles. I think they did. Because I also had a few years later Queen's Killer Queen. Mm-hmm. And I think Dad had a butterfly on the Electro label, uh, even though it was a single. Uh, Dad had the albums. Dad had the Judy Collins albums that had the uh, Electro label that had the butterfly. I had Bread's Baby I'm a Want You uh, with the little caterpillar crawling on the E. Mm-hmm. So, I, w- I want to fast forward a couple years. How did you really, really become, you know, like a hardcore, hardcore Beatle fan? It was probably, actually, it was more so hardcore Wings fan. Wings fan. Uh, Because as I grew up, by the time I hit, by the time I was 10, um, the Beatles were everywhere. Oh, the Beatles. Wings were everywhere, nine years old even. I mean, and and being a radio junkie, and it was all AM radio, very little FM yet for me, um, you know, it was impossible to not have the, uh, you know, one of the New York City am radio stations playing the hits it was almost impossible to go any extended period of time without hearing junior's farm jet helen wheels my love uh, uh and then in 75 listen to what the man said so you know because they were current and they were huge and they were all over the place i immediately wings were my band they were it the sun rose and set on wings the Beatles were secondary, and I was forming my 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 my. I was forming my tastes and my knowledge, and discovering all of the Beatles' music as the '70s progressed. Mm-hmm. And it was usually Christmas time. Santa Claus would bring me, you know, that was when I usually got my mother load of Beatle albums, mm-hmm. which was my mother knowing I liked the Beatles and having a general sense of what I didn't own. Each Christmas, I'd get a bunch of Beatle albums. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned, kind of, you know, going back, that's how I learned what Rubber Soul, what Yesterday and Today, what uh, what 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 uh, the Beatles' second album, uh, what uh, Beatles 6 and Beatles 65 were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the current stuff was Venus and Mars, yeah. uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound, etc. Well, and I, I can only imagine, uh, for like, someone you know getting all the records in the 70s that would have been a good time even though we look back on it now as cheap capital records cash grabs uh you know the mm-hmm. rock and roll music love songs uh rarities all oh, those that were stuff. those were massive for me those were like because they were double albums and had lots of songs on them mm-hmm. those were major players in 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 educating me educating myself about the Beatles, especially the uh, earlier stuff. And I had, and the Blue Album, I had the Blue Album first, 67 to 70. Mm -hmm. Um, And then got the Red Album on cassette. I think I bought that with my allowance or something. Those albums, you're glad you pointed them out, especially rock and roll music and love songs, which I got when they were brand new, like they were the Beatles' new album. Yeah. And they played a major part in turning me on to kind of deeper album cuts 
from albums that I was either just learning about or didn't know anything about yet. Well, were you, were you a goody two shoes and stayed with the albums, or did you uh, go down that dark alleyway and start uh, buying the bootlegs? I was never into bootlegs. Oh boy, I think the first bootlegs I ever bought probably were early '80s when I was a teenager, uh, and they actually probably were purchased at Beetlefest. Um, you know, one of the things about being an only child <laughs> is that you do. I, I was somewhat sheltered, so I didn't venture all that far outside of my little world in the Bronx and find record stores that sold illegal <laughs> bootleg records. Yeah. When I went to my first Beetlefest, which was in 1982, I was 17. My eyes were were like like popped out of my head when I saw the flea market and the marketplace and the vendors selling all of these records, yeah. finding these things that I had never seen before from like and not totally getting, and... yeah, not totally understanding what exactly these were because some of these bootlegs looked legit, mm-hmm. and you're like, how did I not, how did I never hear of this? Like, what, and I bought a few of, the, of them. What's the name of the one that looked? really really legit it it was like it predated rarities collector's items collector's items That's yeah i see i don't yeah i don't know that you know what i think of what uh the black album oh the black album now the black album is the biggest pain in the ass to listen to <laughs> because and i'm sure a lot of people listening to this are hardcore beetle fans know what it is it's the audience off the Nagra tapes, the film, mm-hmm. the Let It Be, uh, the cameras. So you have all of the the tones, and you have the cameraman's uh, directions uh, that are uh, are uh, uh, you can hear them with the music. And so a lot of times, songs cut off in the middle, or the song is going on and it sounds great, and then there's a series of loud piercing tones that are cues for other cameras I guess but physically the black album is looks great it's oh, a reverse of the white beautiful. album shiny black cover poster triple album poster that you know that was like that was one of the yeah yeah it was done up to be a copy of I'm ass- I haven't looked at it in ages I'm assuming it's let it be get back sessions photographs done up like the white album poster and um I haven't I haven't pulled that album out in decades. Well, but that was one of three or four bootlegs kind of, I yeah, bought. Something quite rare on your hands because that's that's a very desirable one these days that goes for mm, low three digits. D- oh wow, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. there was another. I, I again, should have I, said that and said you know it's, <laughs> it's not worth anything. I'll give you my address. Wait, no. What I'll do is when I when later on. I'll tell my wife, hey, you know the value that's in these cabinets? But uh, uh, I think it was the first time, I'm pretty sure since you mentioned bootlegs, it was probably the 82 Beetlefest was the first time I ever bought boots. I bought them, uh, I think it was a McCartney called Suitable for Framing, I think. Yes. And there was a Beetle one. I don't remember the names. I don't know if there was three or four LP. But what I found was, as I got older, I got a little more into audio equipment, 
uh, and I got a little anal with my collections. I did. You, you tend developed to like to the buy uh, mental boots illness on vinyl. known to us as audiophileness or audiophilia. Yes. 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 Uh, and I didn't like playing bootleg vinyl because uh, I had heard a lot of horror stories about what they could do to your your uh, needle, your cartridge. But when CDs rolled around, the only thing that stopped me from from going nuts with bootleg CDs was the price tag. Yeah. You know, I would, you know, I'd drop a hundred bucks and sit down and look in the bag and see three CDs and think, that's a hundred dollars in here. These better be good, uh, because I could have gotten, you know, I could have bought. So, yeah, I've got a, a solid bootleg collection that has kind of appeared dribs and drabs, but I was over the years, but I was never this maniac uh, bootleg collector. It just seemed to be, I don't need another vice. It's bad enough what I do now with regular, legitimate legal releases. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, you, you fall know, down so the rabbit there's hole. There's bootlegs around, but... People start looking at you funny. It's like, how many copies of Rubber Soul does one need to own? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's endless. Actually, I'll turn that question to you. How many copies of Rubber Soul do you own? Oh, well, Rubber Soul, probably three or four. One vinyl, the one that I got, which is an Apple from the 70s, that I got for Christmas, I think, in 1974. Um, that was my Rubber Soul introduction. And then I've got, of course, the, uh, the 87 CD and then uh, at least one, if not two copies or three of the most recent CD. I think the album that I've got the most of, I've got a, I think I've got a lot of Meet the Beatles because for some reason, I'd, I'd be given, I was given people's copies, Darren, here, I'm going to throw it out. And I've got a load of Meet the Beatles. I don't think they're in great shape. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the album I've got the most copies of. Now you got me wondering, but... Well, uh, I, only a handful I, of rubber soles. Now I feel like, okay, no, it's me who has the problem. Oh, no, you got to see with, with me with current releases. Uh, you know, I'm, you know part, there are folks that think that we need, med, you know, there's meds for this. But I'm yeah. like, uh, you know, the McCartney 2 album, I'm not necessarily hell-bent on getting every colored variation. But... I've got four on the way, and oh my God. Which, you know, multiple okay. copies of all four of them. Which which four? There will be three copies of the Coke Bottle Green from via Spotify that will be coming to my house. I got one or two, probably two, not the not the um, uh, Third Man Records red vinyl but the red vinyl that seemed to appear more recently okay okay i got a couple of those coming in the mail i've got a couple of white mccartney threes on the way that i purchased from uh, online from a couple of indie record stores luckily i think my mom because I, I sent her the link uh with the caption uh christmas gift question mark question mark question mark <laughs> and so i think she did pre-order the third man red one in time well that's that's, well, you know this. I mean, you know, of course, the yellow one is ridiculously rare. Well, that's because uh, Third Man screwed the pooch and put put it up for, like, sale an hour before the announcement. Is that what happened? 
Oh, that's could, what I that's what I've been told has happened. Because the morning of the announcement, I was pretty I woke up and I was looked on my iPad and I found out McCart the official word on McCartney 3 pretty quickly and immediately went over to third man and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's sold out already. Yeah. You know, and that was a day actually where I wasn't uh uh, I, did, I wasn't on my iPad or on my computer all that much, and I didn't realize till later in the day that green would popped up here and there was a clear there. And, you know, I was able to get the Spotify uh, Coke bottle green only because a listener of mine on WFUV forwarded me an email uh, to my WFUV email address. It just happened to... Uh, come to me at a time when I was uh, on my in my WFUV email about to record uh, a show and the email popped up and it, as soon as I got it I clicked the link and bought the copies and thought nice I missed out on what third man records did but I've got this green one little did I know target was putting a uh, target was putting out the solid green and that the there was a red one that had popped up and um, I also got the green Target CD. I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, is, is it bad? And I have that somebody I, that I've met. Is it bad that it's kind but, of? I'm I'm happy that they're doing it as a collector, but it's also it kind of upsets me that they put out like all these variations all in the same day. That it's like. Could you be any more transparent? With yeah, uh, I could see. Yeah, that's a popular argument, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have been involved in these arguments, these debates on Facebook and whatnot about why it's done. And is well, Paul I know kidding why it's me? Done. And it's it's I, done to know, sell listen, like several copies of the same album to bump it up on the Billboard charts. Well, you know what? It, the, the state of the industry today and what it takes to sell records today, I don't have any problem with this happening. Uh, and if you are a collector like we them. are, <laughs> if, we, if you're a collector like we are and you choose to attempt to get them all and you the money's, you know, even if it is a bit of an issue, you feel it makes you happy, it gives you pleasure knock yourself out go get them all if that's not your thing fine but don't criticize me because i bought i'm trying to get as many of the colored vinyls as i could get it's what i do yeah. i'm sure i could find plenty of things well, but, to uh hassle you about you know if that's not your thing that's not yeah. your thing i bought a couple of cassettes of mccartney 3 too so so there yeah. damn it well i'm, I'm not but i didn't you. i still haven't ordered the standard I still didn't get the standard CD or black vinyl yet. Oh, but what's the point, though? <laughs> well, I would think, I, I, you know, I'm still uncertain. You know, the common word is the colored vinyl uh, audio quality is subpar to black vinyl. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe it uh, was in I would the still... 80s, but I don't know about now. Some folks say, no, you can't hear, and others are, of course you can hear. Uh, you know, when McCartney 3 comes out, I might pick one of the colored vinyls to crack open and play. Uh, but more times than not, I'll be going for the standard CD. Um, 
listen, I big vinyl guy, but in my book, CD is the, the, the best way to listen to music for convenience. And I still think if they're made correctly, they can't they they they, they can't be topped sound wise. But if I'm going to listen to vinyl, I probably if I want the best sounding, I think I would feel like, you know, put the black one on. Chances are that's going to be a little better sounding than the red one. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Well, now we're talking about records. I'll ask what is or what was your holy grail uh, record wise? It, 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 could be one, it could be one that you have or one that you're still looking for. Uh, you know what? Maybe the first time I think that I spent a significant amount of money on to get a first pressing that actually was still in the shrink wrap. It was opened, but it was the shrink wrap was intact. Was uh, I think it was a stereo? I don't think it was a mono. Uh, Sergeant Pepper that I bought for a couple of hundred dollars. And it was in pristine mint condition, first pressing from 67, opened. Uh, I don't even think there was much evidence that it had ever been played. Uh, and that, even though I probably have records that are more valuable, um, that maybe because it was the first one that I could remember where I made a major financial investment, something about the fact that I just had an album that was probably sitting in a record store in June 1967, and I own it now. And it's, this is what it looked and sounded like if I was, you know, more older in 1967 and I bought it as the brand new Beatle album. Um, I actually have a goal of owning all of the Christmas records. Now that, that's pricey. Oh, it, it definitely is. And I have one that I bought. And you're, I, you're one ahead of me. <laughs> I have the 1968 record, and I bought it actually, I think, a couple of years ago, and have kind of like thought to myself, you know, I want to try to get as many of them. I know the first couple, you're getting into like, you know, rarefied air, but uh, once I saw a vendor at the Fest for Beatle fans uh, had a complete set of the UK pressings. Mm-hmm. I'm, and, I, you know, I'm, I make it, I'm joking now when I say this. Uh, that particular Sunday, when I saw the vendor, once I came back, when I regained consciousness and got off the floor, uh, from seeing them all in one place, I'm looking at it going, it was a, it made a few thousand dollars, and I thought, I'm a big boy. I couldn't afford that today. I'm an adult. Yeah. I have, oh, hi, hon. My wife was with me. And she saw me, and I'm like, uh, and it was like, no. Okay. Okay. Well, one day, one day. One day. For now, I'm at least happy with the the box that came out a few years ago. Yeah, very nice. That was a nice item. I enjoyed that, yeah. Because it's, uh, I, I'm at least able to listen to them, and they will sound better than the originals yeah the christmas messages i've always they have a very soft spot in my heart for those things i don't think i knew the beatles had made those recordings and one 
Christmas Eve, and I think I was probably a teenager, uh, one Christmas Eve, and I don't remember what radio station it was in New York, but I was in the car with my family, and we were probably coming home from visiting or going to a relative's house on Christmas Eve, and I was just flipping around on the dial, uh, and... I immediately recognized the, you know, the speaking voices, and it was like, what, what is this? That's the Beatles. Well, what the heck is this? I don't know what, the, and I don't think any explanation was given that night. I didn't hear an announcement, and little at a time, I'd start, they'd start popping up on the radio, and then when I got to uh, WFUV, when I started working at WFUV in in uh, 1983-84. Um, I think somebody, somebody at the radio station either had them transferred to reel to reel or brought in a bootleg LP, which I recorded. And from that point on knew them so well that I could narrate them like they were my favorite movie, the dialogue, uh, and eventually got, you know, bootleg LP of them and then bought the, uh, an original, uh, bootleg CD then. And then I got an original Apple pressing of the American version, yeah. uh, which is one of my prized items. It's a, it's a pricey item, but oh. not an overly rare, you know, thing to get the Beatles Christmas album on Apple mm-hmm. in the U S I, so, I saw a bootleg once and, uh, in a record store in Montreal. It was a bootleg of the British version of the Christmas album. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I had. I was. That's what I had first. Yeah. yeah, it was the From Then to You, and I was yeah. so tempted to buy it, but I didn't because I'm an yeah, idiot. Yeah, that was. Um, that uh, now that I come to think about it, I think that I found that some in, in somewhere, uh, the, the bootleg pressing of the UK album, and that's maybe what I then brought to WFUV, and recorded the whole thing on reel to reel for the staff, uh, to use and put like you know the leader tape between each of the tracks and wrote up little descriptions of of each message. Um, I did two Beatles specials at WFUV. FUV where I played all of them uh, in a one-hour program uh, spilled a little over an hour and I think that was in 20 2016 and 2017 maybe or 2015 and 2016 um, there are very twice though I did that that when we're in the car listening to the radio something comes on and I will fight anyone to the death who changes it uh, and it's it's around <laughs> Christmas. And then the Beatles Sirius XM channel starts playing the Christmas messages. I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. no one's changing mm-hmm. this. No one's changing this. I'm listening to these <laughs> Christmas messages. Right, right. You're like, but these yeah, are they're, good. They're, they're special. Like, I don't care. No. To the untrained non-Beatle ear, no, they're not good. Uh, they actually sound like a bunch of goofy, you know, guys, you know, farting around uh, with a tape recorder, which, well, well, actually they were, yeah. especially the early ones. But because it's the Beatles, because they're rare, uh, they're not common. Um, even after they came out in that vinyl box set, the vinyl box set went out of print. 
I mean, you can still find it here and there, but for the most part, they're gone again. Yeah. Um, waiting, <laughs> waiting for Apple to launch a big, expensive box set on us at some point in the future. I'm sure. Of course. Uh, where they're all on CD and there's outtakes and whatnot, but for now, they're 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 not they're not available. They're special. Are there outtakes of the Christmas messages? Yeah. There are, I mean, I have a bootleg CD that's got an outtake from uh, one of the, like the 1965 message, just one of them. Uh, and there's a lot of unreleased stuff that got cut that somehow these things survive and make their way. Uh, I haven't heard all that much, but, you know, the early messages when the Beatles were following, loosely following a script that was written for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the stuff that they would clown around on, or maybe if they made an off-color joke or said something stupid that they didn't think was funny, stuff got cut out. And some of that stuff has kind of made its way out there. I mean, I only own a few minutes in the, on this bootleg CD of, I think, the 65 message. Um, and, of course, uh, the full version of Christmas Time um, is uh, here again. Uh, the full version of the song uh, is also on this boot CD. It's like six or seven minutes long. Um, okay, well, that I think I do have on a bootleg yeah. leg somewhere. So. Yeah. I I just always love talking about bootlegs. Yeah, it's a whole... It, well, for every band, it's a whole other world. And I really... My, what I love and collect and what I appreciate is enough to keep me busy that I never really jumped headfirst into seriously collecting bootlegs. And I don't find today when most of these things are digital and they're downloads and whatnot, I don't find that particularly interesting. In fact, I'm one of probably, I mean, I don't know, maybe you are too, but I'm the type of person that hear, will hear about a bootleg album from years back and will attempt to find a physical copy of oh, it. Yes. I'm not interested really in files and downloads that, you know, just doesn't appeal to me. Well, I, I'm not super big into bootleg uh, buying wise. I love the history, but there are a couple of bootlegs where I have gone out of my way to buy them mainly for the covers. Right. Uh, when, last time I was in New York City, I picked up a copy of The Beatles versus The Third Reich. Oh, wow. And it's one of my prized possessions. Right. Because it's so ludicrous. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How often do you come into New York City? Uh, the last time I was in New York was 2018. Okay. Did you... And uh, now you have... You alluded to this. You've been to the Fest for Beetle fans in New New Jersey. Uh, not New Jersey. Chicago? Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I've only been once. Okay. Yeah, um, everyone, you know, I, like I said, I, I've, I've um, been going since 1982. I, I've been to every single New York, New Jersey fest except for... 2013 because I had I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I have a couple of bum knees from falling the first time I fell uh, on stairs in my house 
I tore up my right knee. Oh, shit. Uh, complete rupture of the quadriceps tendon. Surgery, immobilized knee for months. Therapy for months. And missed the 2013 fest because it was just going to be near impossible to get around alone and to get somebody to commit to being my nurse for yeah. three days in a hotel room would Wally with no guarantee it? that I would be able to figure out the logistics of a shower that knocked out the 2013 fest. And then um, in, uh, in 2019, just last year, I took a flop down another set of stairs and ruptured the quad tendon in the other knee. So uh, they're equally destroyed. But knee injury kept me away from the 2013 fest. And that's the only one I've missed since 82. They started in 74. Have you been to any of the Chicago ones? No. Uh, it was always New York, New Jersey. I don't, I'm not a huge, I don't like to fly if I could avoid it. Uh, and not to sound pathetic, but... Uh, I never really was able to find somebody who would come with me to Chicago. Yeah. You know, years ago, I used to go as a, purely as a fan with a few friends. We used to get, we'd get, stay in the hotel and it would be like a, you know, kind of like, uh, for three days, we didn't really get to do anything, uh, socially during the course of the year. It would be a little let down your hair party weekend. Mm -hmm. But over the past 10 years, I've actually started doing working uh, at the fest, hosting panels, doing some emceeing, interviewing bands. So there's been more quote-unquote work and slightly less play. But, you know, it's always been a case where getting to Chicago was never something that was convenient for me. And so I still have, haven't done it. And uh, I keep saying this, one of these years, I'll probably head out there. Oh, you gotta, um, you gotta. That's, everyone tells me that's the fest. Um, it's better than the New York, New Jersey one. I, I, uh, I can't say because I haven't been to the New York, New Jersey one, but I I'll, all I know is I had a lot of fun at the Chicago yeah. one. Yeah, they're, they're very cool, and especially if you're with friends or with family members that are into the Beatles and you got a little group, and if you're there for the whole weekend, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Usually by Sunday night, I'm fairly burned out for a variety of reasons, oh. and I'm fested out, and I'm looking to go home and sleep for 12 hours, but uh, I missed it this year that it couldn't happen, and I'm not even sure we're going to be able to do it in March when they've scheduled the next one in New Jersey, in Jersey City, um, but we'll see. Well, we can only hope. You might want to pause the recording now because my phone is ringing. There we go. Um, so I want to ask you now. Sure. This is this is where it gets fun and it gets opinionated. I want to ask you, what is your favorite Beatles song? Rain. Really? Yeah. I'm not used to quick answers on this show. Rain. And I'd say it's all too much. Okay, man of culture. Uh, and your bird can sing. Helter Skelter. Only a northern song. 
okay. obscure stuff. You know what? You may be my new favorite guest I've had because <laughs> you you said not only it's all too much, but only a northern song, and those are two of my favorite Beatles songs. It's all yeah. too much may be my favorite Beatles song right now. I think like any ba- any band that you're into, if you're really a hardcore fan, you eventually gravitate to the deeper cuts because, you know, let's face it, even the great songs that are hits. I mean, for the longest time, Hey Jude was my favorite, but even after a while, it was like, Hey Jude is one of the great records ever made. Uh, I've heard it enough for now. I'll listen to these at this moment. Um but I made, on the other side of that, a rather controversial statement on things we said today last year when I mentioned that the first song I think of when we were doing a show on what we thought might be overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said I one of the songs I like the least from the Beatles is Yesterday. Okay. Because I just, the melody is, to my ears, fairly unexciting. I don't blame you. That's one of my least favorites, too. Yeah. It's We're the that, same person. <laughs> we are. It's that's why you've never seen the two of us in the same room. <laughs> and if you have, it's just one of us moving back and forth really fast. Right, really fast, right? Well, yeah. honestly, I don't move fast at all, so okay, so uh, it couldn't be that. It's me. Got to be magic. Yeah. Um, but was, uh, was, yeah, those are my favorite songs. I was going to ask you what your least favorite was, but you asked that for me. Well, um, I, you know, yesterday, and I. I I never really was nuts, and I don't know why, don't ask me why, but, like, uh, drive my car, uh, eh. um, don't get me wrong, drive my car is great, but, you know, it is, something's got to sink to the bottom of the barrel, and for me, drive my car yesterday, uh, the riff for Day Tripper's great, but mm-hmm. this, that song is, like, okay. I'm not a... Yeah. Again, not I prefer the B-side. We can work it out. Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. I'll ask you a kind of companion question. What's your favorite Beatles album? Abbey Road. Okay, again, another quick answer. Yeah, there's no question. It's Abbey Road for me. And then after that, that's where it gets hard. If I had to rank them, I don't know if I could do it. And I don't think I would give the same answer. Okay. Uh, twice. But for me, I think the best record ever made is Abbey Road, period. Any band. Fair anyone. enough. Anyone. I, I like to joke on this show that there's a correct answer to that question. Um, you, I, you know, I've been hearing Abbey Road a lot more, so I, I kind of have discontinued that bit. Mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, the correct answer is Revolver. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can totally, a lot of people, and this seems to have happened in, you know, over the past 20, 25 years where there has been kind of uh, folks leaning towards Revolver more than the other Beatle albums, and I totally get it. It's a perfect psychedelic power pop album. Yeah. Uh, but I think my, 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 my love for Abbey Road was already so rock solid yeah. formed, which could also have something to do with it being... One of my first Beatle albums, as we talked about earlier. Well, I was going to say that. You know. That was one of the, it was that and Let It Be. And Hey right. Jude. And, 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 and listen, it's one of McCartney's shining moments. McCartney's my favorite Beatle. Don't get me wrong. I love them all, obviously. McCartney's my favorite Beatle. And it's, that is, 
about as perfect as rock slash pop music gets in my book are some of the things on there that McCartney cooked up, uh, um, especially in the medley, you know, and, you know, he, you got Ringo even now by this point blossoming as a competent songwriter. Uh, I've always liked Octopus's Garden. Terrific song. Ringo wrote it. The second song he ever wrote that they did anything with. And that was pretty damn good and does not stick out like a sore thumb on Abbey Road. And Harrison was blossoming, uh, as we all know, into the type of writer that, listen, he was as good as John and Paul, I think, at that time. Or damn close. And maybe Lennon didn't have as many uh, tunes on on Abbey Road. But I want you, she's so heavy and come together, it doesn't get any better. You know, so for me, Abbey Road is p- perfection. Well, I want to see if you're as opinionated about this. What is your least favorite Beatles album? Probably Beatles for Sale. Okay. Uh, and that's only because I think the Beatles needed to, ex, you know, take a little bit of a break. And there's a little more, co- you know, it went back to being some covers and original material. You know, I think if you looked at all of the albums, the songs that people tend to gravitate to are concentrated maybe a little more on Beatles for Sale. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you know, there are a lot of bands who would probably give up their firstborn to have Beatles for Sale as their best album. Yeah. And for the Beatles, it was just, you know, maybe they didn't quite have enough material, do some covers, and uh, that tends to be the one that sort of falls falls between the cracks. But growing up with the American LPs, um, I always felt slightly ripped off by something new. That would be one that I'd say, you know... Well, is, uh, is that because uh, like half of the songs were on the uh, Hard Day's yeah, Night? Yeah, they had already come out on the on the Hard Day's Night soundtrack, and uh, you know it was a weird choice of these other spare tracks to fill out a full length album. And why'd you pick Home Give Me a Dinah Han uh, to be on side two? Uh, it didn't belong there. And if you're going to pick that, why not see Liebdijk too? It just was a weird record, something new. And I remember when I got it in the probably in the early 80s it you know and, and owned a, a copy of it and listened to it from beginning to end for the first time it was one of the last Beatle albums that I actually owned I thought you know this this one sounds like uh, a capital cash in yeah and now here's the final question what do the Beatles mean to you they're my life they're uh they're the soundtrack to my life. They're the greatest popular music act uh, in modern times. Uh, they are they are the premier rock act, solo or band, of all time. They transcend. They transcend everything when it comes to music. I mean, you've got people. Uh, young people listening to music that's 50 years old and yeah you know or like yours you know, truly I, yeah well I, I i just assuming i don't know how old you are but i'm 18 all right so your 18 year old ears hear something off of revolver 
And that holds up with something that uh, today a band like Wilco might do or or uh, Temples or something like that, you know, and these younger bands, you know, I mean, it all starts with Revolver for a lot of these groups yeah. uh, today. Uh, and there's no other band, no other act that that's the case. Um, so for me, I mean, all of the above and the fact that, listen, whether together or individually, you know, that was the soundtrack to my life. I can place events in my life back to what was the current McCartney solo single at the time or what what I was doing when I heard George's Cloud Nine album for the first time or whatever. <laughs> you know, so Oh that's and, that's that's it in a nutshell. And now here's the best part. I got to turn it over to you. What would you like to plug? Uh what do you what do you mean plug? My shit like Yeah. Oh okay. I'd like to plug my radio show. Uh, WFUV uh, is the radio station I've been at in uh, New York City since, well, I did my first broadcast in uh, February 1984 and have been there for the exception of a few months, have been there ever since. So that's 36, closing in on 37 years. Um I've been extremely fortunate to have uh, uh, this career in broadcasting in New York City. It's a tough industry, and in New York City, it's a tough industry. But WFUV has, for those of us at the station, we're we're blessed because it's almost like an oasis from the broadcasting industry, and we've been able to grow in many different ways, individually and as station. Um, like I said, been there since 84, was there through many, many changes over the years in the 80s, the last years of it being a college station that belonged to Fordham University. Um, it made a transition by the beginning of the 90s to being a non-commercial public radio station with professionals and students working side by side, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty much in a nutshell what it is today. Not a college station. It's uh, probably the second biggest public radio station in the New York City metropolitan area. And uh, you can hear me right now, Monday through Thursday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight uh, due to the pandemic and the fact that everybody's broadcasting and doing their thing from home and broadcasting remotely. Uh, the logistics force me to wrap my show up at midnight after just two hours on weeknights, Monday through Thursday. But... Uh, under normal circumstances, the show would continue to 2 a.m., and I fully expect that at one point, you know, I'll be back to 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., but for now, it's 10 p.m. to midnight, Monday through Thursday night, Saturday afternoons, 1 to 4, not tomorrow, though, because it'll be 1 to 3, and I won't get into why, um, and WFUV is uh, 90.7 FM in New York City. Uh, we still have, actually, an HD channel uh, 90.7 FM HD2 is an option to tune in. Listen at WFUV.org. Anywhere you can listen, stream online, download the WFUV app, listen there, anywhere, and uh, catch me five, day, five days a week uh, right now. Uh, 
at uh, New York City's home for we specialize in lots of new artists and lots of new music so uh, it's been a way for me to keep up with a lot of things that's happening in the 21st century and what about that uh, that podcast that you co-host I'm part of Things We Said Today with Ken Michaels and Alan Cozen. We do a show every other week, although I think we're going to miss uh, a week this month. But every other week, Things We Said Today, Ken Michaels, Alan Cozen, and uh, and me, Darren DeVivo. Uh, I've known Ken since pretty much from 1984 when he was in his early years of working in radio. Um and Alan, I've gotten to know over the past couple of years, Alan at one time was, I think, the head of the classical department at the New York Times, uh, well-known writer who is in the process right now of writing what sounds like it's going to be the essential uh, history of Paul McCartney. Volume one is supposed to come out in 2021. I think there's going to be three volumes to this thing. Um, so Alan's uh, the other host. And... Uh, that's things we said today. Uh, and in a nutshell, I just tell people, go where podcasts are and you'll find us. Exactly. Um, and now, let us let me try and do my spiel, which I'm, I'm still getting the hang of saying. Whew. All right. One, <laughs> two, three. If you're watching this on uh, YouTube, which uh, a lot of my audience is, uh, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please hit that bell notification icon so you get notified every time a new video gets posted. Occasionally other things go up on there, so you won't want to miss out. Uh, like the video. If you have any feedback, please leave a comment. Or you can reach me at uh, fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And yes, we are finally on Twitter. Fans on the Run has gone Twitter. And, you know, as Darren said, you can listen to this show pretty much everywhere podcasts can be heard. So, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher. I, I don't even know anymore. There's so many. Oh, that was right. a mouthful. And, uh, a quick plug for me, I, I, I neglected to mention, I actually have two Facebook pages, Darren DeVivo, the other one, uh, Darren DeVivo, WFUV DJ, Beatles podcaster, writer, like one, friend me on the other, and I'm still kind of trying to devise what one page is supposed to be and what the other page is supposed to be. So just look me up and we'll, we'll be hooked up. Well, there you go. And I, I just want to say, Darren, it, it's been, I, I've had a great time talking with you today, man. Uh, listen, Ethan, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm glad that we got to do this, and I appreciate being asked. And uh, I am a fan on the run. And uh, and thank you. And hopefully we get to do it again. We'll have you on Things We Said Today next time. Oh, I, I would look forward to that. With with my other buddy, and, uh, my and, other and buddy yeah, Ken. So definitely. Yeah. Ken, yeah, absolutely. Ken Michael's good good guy. He, he's good people. Um, but yeah, to everyone, to everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.